1: Second hour of Life the Tower on the Horn. Craigway with you, Jeff Halby back on uh, Monday, and uh, we're going to get to our special guest here momentarily. Uh, this is this has been a lot of fun this morning on this deal about fractured phrases, and you find out more from uh, native Texans apparently than others with regard to some of these fractured phrases. Uh, this here, here's somebody who said, uh, "Bear with me as this is a little bit longer," and so. Phrases that you've heard, like we were saying earlier, one guy said, you know, six one half the other instead of six of one half a dozen of the other, or, you know, that that kind of that kind of deal. Um, so I said, bear with me as this is a little bit longer. I went to med school in Dallas in the early 90s while doing my, uh-oh, OBGYN rotation at an East Dallas clinic, had a patient came in to... T- I'm going to try to keep it together as I read this. Um, I had a patient come in who told me, quote unquote, she had fireballs in her Eucharist. And I had no idea what she was talking about until I looked at the attending doctor kind of smiled and said, that's a common one. It means fibroids in her uterus. Got fireballs in my Eucharist.
0: Uh, (laughs) All-time
1: story there. (laughs) That's a great one. (laughs) life in the fast lane somebody said they heard flies in the vaseline uh for that one (laughs) um i had a friend tell me they thought elton john was saying hold me closer tony danza (laughs) instead of tiny dancer uh yeah they they
0: made an elton john commercial about um rocket man right remember that where all the different ways people would think the lyrics were yeah
1: absolutely uh the Burning Dallas, Fuse Out Here Alone, all kinds of yep. stuff like that. Um, I, I will admit, for years when I was younger, I thought the Cat Stevens song, Peace Train, before I ever saw the title of it, I thought he was saying slide on the B string instead of the Peace Train. And Linda and I had a laugh about this. I said, for a long time, I didn't know the England Dan and John Ford Coley song. Um, I'd really uh, love to see it tonight. The, the 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 in the in the uh, chorus he goes, um, I'm not talking about moving in, and mm-hmm. I don't want to change your life. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I thought he said I didn't know for a long time, and the closest thing I could think was I'm not talking about the linen, <laughs> like he was meaning like staying with her, mm-hmm. and she laughed. I said I thought it. Was, I didn't know what it was. But I said, but I said I thought is he saying. I'm not talking about the linen. No, saying I'm not talking about moving in. So yeah, we've all had those. Um, I I thought um, I thought no diggity songs that I like the way you work, kid. <laughs> um, my good friend thought the song "Smoke on the Water" was slow, cousin Walter. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, uh all right anyway uh somebody said any pearl jam song so uh somebody else called Zach brown man was saying you got one of those innies <laughs> instead of you get whatever it is oh uh, gosh so anyone from el paso says water burger uh and in, and then i've heard there, several people have weighed in with this and that's the deal. somebody else said thought it was water burger um that business about saying Washington with an R in it, Washington, 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 Washington. and and our and our next guest certainly would would uh, would be able to corroborate this because if you watch the old Tom Landry show when he's coaching the Cowboys, he would say, "I oh, you know we got Washington, then we'll play Atlanta and St. Louis and Philadelphia. Uh, Gene Watson, the assistant general manager of the Kansas City Royals, who is a native Texan. Has probably fractured a phrase or two in his life, but you remember when Tom Landry would say Washington. There's there's people you know that 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 call our nation's capital city pronounced with an R in it,
0: Washington, right? No question. (laughs) And Tom Landry was my guy. That was my hero growing up. Absolutely (laughs) loved him.
1: Yeah. And he'd say, I you know, Washington, Atlanta, and they're playing a St. Louis next week." And that's that's another uh, Texan phrase where people pronounce Saint as Uh, so that, that happens as well. Uh, are you still in the Pacific Northwest? I know you were in Seattle, uh, again, dodging, uh, more natural disasters. Uh, the, when last I we am. checked in with you,
0: I am, we had an off day yesterday, which was kind of nice to get a bunch of computer work done, but we got the Cardinals coming in today for a three game set. And then Sunday night, I'll catch a red eye to Nashville, Tennessee, to see our triple A team play the Nashville sounds next week. So it's, uh, it's been a nice, calm week, other than the explosion in downtown Seattle and getting to watch a guy beat another guy up on the streets two days ago. Um, it's 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 been a calm week relative to the fire in New York
1: City. I started saying this wasn't New York where you saw the guy getting beat up by the other. That was where the fire was.
0: You go to Seattle, right. and
1: a guy's getting mugged, and then you had an explosion in downtown Seattle, correct?
0: I'm thinking I want to create a podcast called the On the Road Podcast and just tell all these stories of – the past 35 years on the road and it's just, you can't make it up. It's, wow. it's insane. Um, if, and when that
1: time comes around and you do a podcast, I know you will address this question because I've had, uh, some folks ask me about this and they say, it's fascinating when we hear Gino, uh, talk about, you know, where he is major league, minor league. And I know last week we, uh, we, uh, I, I asked you about some team names and ballparks and we'll do it again here in a few minutes. But, but, uh, there, there are people on the heels of that last week who asked me, what, what exactly is he doing when he goes to a major league park, and what exactly is he doing when he goes to a minor league park? And you mentioned Nashville uh, as well, and and it rolls back to the same thing. You're scouting. You're looking at. You're looking at people. But I think what the questions were is the rhythm and the rhyme to when you're going to watch major league teams and when you're going to watch minor league teams and and the prospects that you're watching.
0: Yeah, so my my responsibility have changed, you know, a little over the years. When I left and went to the Angels, with the Angels, I, I covered all of our minor league systems to see who needed to be promoted and spoke to the players about, you know, the anxiety and depression and just building the culture in the minor leagues. And then if we had a trade going on, I would, uh, I would you know, seek targets for those trades. Uh, in the major league ballpark, it could be everything from advancing a team because we're about to play them. Uh, I typically now start the major league season out uh, thinking best case scenario if we're going if we're winning and we're adding who are some of the teams we could make trades for. Obviously, we're off to a very bad start with a very young team, and so now it's kind of okay. Worst case scenario, as as I've seen the Mets, I've seen the Astros, I've seen the White Sox, the Brewers, the Mariners, all teams that are expected to be in the playoffs. So now it's like okay, if we're gonna a trade a Scott Barlow or a trade a Rodas Chapman or, or any one of our players. Who are the players that we want in those trades? And the trip next week to Nashville is basically we're a couple of weeks into the minor league season and a month into the major league season. So I go in and evaluate our players to see who could be the potential call-ups uh, in, in early May and June.
1: Okay. If uh, that explains it. Yeah, it does. And, and it brings me to the next point. Uh, I heard uh, Bucky and Aaron talking about this this morning. This is just The latest in what happens with the baseball uh, rumor mill and the trade rumor mill and all this kind of stuff. We've been hearing this for a couple of years, uh, with regard to Shohei Otani. Now you have a unique perspective, having worked in the Angels' employ. Can can you even, in your, I don't know, I don't want to say wildest dreams, but expansive dreams, envision a scenario where the Angels would be open to trading Shohei Otani?
0: I do not. And and if that window was open, it would have been last year. Um, it would have been in the, in the same vein as the Juan Soto trade, uh, that type of package in return. And I just don't think, one, I think that the Angels are going to stay very, very competitive. Uh, and in that ride, you know, once you get into August and September and October and in that ride of success, emotions starts to take over. And, And Shohei is an incredible human being. He's one of my favorite people I've ever been around in my life, an unbelievable talent. Uh, And so, you know, he's going to do the right thing for himself and also what what he feels is right for the Angels. But I just don't see a scenario in which, unless the wheels really came off here in the first half, and I don't expect them to, uh, where they would trade him. I I think that they will – Ride it out till the end of the year. Try to re-sign him, and if not, you know they'll get the draft picks for him down the road.
1: Talking Major League Baseball with Gene Watson from the Kansas City Royals here on Light the Tower. Uh, we had somebody ask this, uh, our friend Golf Lingo on the Specs Text line, and I was going to ask you. We talked about Tampa Bay last week, and uh, this question is more with regard to uh, some would say the surprise teams. Uh, Golf Lingo is wanting uh, your thoughts on the Orioles. Who are eleven and seven, and how important a guy like Adley Rutschman is uh, behind the plate? And I was also going to ask you about the Pirates, who are off to a thirteen and seven start, and uh, what you're seeing from the, those two ball comes. Let me start with Baltimore. Get your thoughts on the Orioles.
0: I don't think Baltimore is a real surprise. I think everybody saw them coming last year. Uh, with the Adley Rutschman's, with the Gunnar Henderson's, you know, they added Kyle Gibson to the top of that rotation. They've got an incredible minor league system. I mean, Mike Elias has done an incredible job of doing everything that he did in Houston, uh, in Baltimore, and he knew what the blueprint looked like. He knew it was going to take some time. It's taken a little longer time because of the division that he's in. But I don't think anybody has seen. Uh, what they're doing this year is a real surprise. They're four games over 500. they They've got one of the best center fielders in the game in Cedric Mullins, and they've got the system uh, to either bring the players up uh, to to help win or to make the trades that they need to. Grayson Rodriguez, uh, the kid from East Texas, is is one of the true uh, young talents in the game. And so this, they're going to be in this thing. They're not going anywhere, and I think everybody kind of saw this coming uh, last year. Pittsburgh, on the other hand, has been a surprise and I think what they've done a great job of doing is they've added some really, really nice veterans to bring along with those kids and teach them how to win. Andrew McCutcheon has been incredible for that team and those kids and they have arguably one of the best center fielders in the game and Brian Reynolds. Mitch Keller is finally turning the corner as a top of the rotation guy, and they they've just done a nice job of blending some veteran experience with the kids. The hard part for them, where they're going to be, as we get in uh, closer to the trade deadline, is you've got uh, an Eric Bednar, one of the top relievers in the game of baseball. You've got a Brian Reynolds, guys that you could potentially spin off and trade and really impact your system uh, in trade. So they're they're going to continue to to play as hard as they can and see where they sit uh, come uh, you know July 15th. And if they have to spin off to to build the team for the future, they'll do that. If not, they'll stay competitive, but. The team in the National League Central who I've been on for six days, the Milwaukee Brewers, are absolutely incredible. This is a really, really good team. And, and they've got uh, they've got youth with uh, Bryce Terang and Joey Weimer uh, and, and Garrett Mitchell. Their pitching is outstanding. They play well together. They've got one of the best managers in baseball. And I'm telling you, the Milwaukee Brewers are a team to watch uh, throughout the summer. They're going to be really, really talented in October.
1: Wow. Uh, we had somebody as a Dodger fan said, hey, can you do a daily Dodger? And I said, no, because most people won't like that. But they, <laughs> I said, uh, but somebody else he said, a pretty exciting game last night. And one of the young players, they have a rookie that I like, hit the Grand Slam. James Altman is one guy. But what was drawing all the headlines, know, last night is Mookie Betts saying, yeah, I can play shortstop goes in and plays flawlessly at shortstop last night for him.
0: Just an unbelievable athlete. And you could see that about him coming up in the minor leagues with Boston. I mean, I I saw him a bunch because at that time we were in a build mode and we were constantly spinning off for prospects. And Mookie Betts was a guy that you could play all over the field, just an incredible athlete. And, I mean, he's a five-tool player, and when you talk about the makeup, he's a six-tool player. So it doesn't surprise me at all what he's doing. And and, and for me, the, the Dodgers are just kind of in a value. They know they're good. They know they're in a very difficult division. The whole division has really improved. The Giants have a nice roster. The Padres are arguably the team to beat in that division. And now they've got Fernando Tatis back. They're not healthy at all in their rotation. So they're going to be stronger in the second half. And Arizona's got a very, very exciting young team and one of the best players in baseball in Corbin Carroll. So, That division is going to be a dogfight. I think the Dodgers are kind of taking a no-vibration approach to – Let's just evaluate who we are. We've got a nice system, and, and, and let's don't go into any type of panic mode. And then they get to you know, June 1 or July 1 and find out what they need and go get it to win.
1: And they still have Clayton Kershaw, who you've watched since he was a pup uh, pitching for Highland Park. And uh, it, it, what a way for him to pick up his 200th career win with uh, a three-hit shutout through seven innings and nine strikeouts in the ballgame. I mean, he just – it's kind of like uh, – Father time is there, but he still keeps uh, stiff-arming him right now.
0: That, and he's, he's such an incredible competitor, the, the Dodgers system and the way they prepare the pitchers, you know, in advance of the opponent and his ability to execute that advance, his competitive side, the information that he's getting, and just the fact that he wants to win every time he goes out, truly one of the great Dodgers of all time. And and you're right. I saw him pitch at Lake Travis high school, his senior year in high school uh, against Temple high school and, and to watch what he's grown into and become not only as a pitcher but as a person and a leader in the Los Angeles community. He's he's just a he's a Hall of Famer for sure and it's it's gonna be fun to watch him all the way to the end.
1: No doubt about it. I know you meant Highland Park instead of Lake Travis, but since we're on the subject of Lake Travis. No, he
0: played in the tournament at Lake Travis. Oh in a tournament for Highland Park. I got you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Highland Park played Temple at Lake Travis tournament his senior year and there were about 200 scouts there the day he pitched. Wow.
1: <laughs> okay, speaking of scouts watching guys from Lake Travis, uh, I know you're not surprised by this. Brett Beatty gets called up. Uh, it's had a pretty good start since he's been in the bigs as well. And uh, and it, it's been impressive to watch what he's done since he's uh, joined the big club with the Mets.
0: Yeah, and, and it, what's more impressive is like Eduardo Escobar is making $9.5 million this year. And Eduardo Escobar is one of the better defensive third basemen in the game. Switch hitter, power from the left side, and Eduardo Escobar is going to the bench for Brady for Beatty. And he is a just a gifted. Got to see him play in high school as well. One of the more gifted offensive players that that you will see in the game. And and he's the kind of like with Milwaukee with Terang and Weimer and Garrett Mitchell. He's the kind of youth impact that that the team can rally around. Uh, and say, okay, this guy's a really, really good player that's going to help us, you know, get to the promised land. And, and seeing the Mets, I didn't get to see him before he called up, but I did see the Mets last week. And he's going to be a tremendous addition to that team. And they've got a very, very good team with only one starter that's healthy from their opening day five-man rotation. So uh, look for them to be adding into the summer, but but a very, very a tremendous young talent for a great team.
1: Two other issues I want to ask you about. Uh, well, one of them is this Max Scherzer thing, and I'm not asking you to say, you know, whatever, guilty, innocent, blah, blah, blah. I, I, I would like for you to give some clarification for folks who read uh, his side of the story saying it's Rosin, it's this and that, and the umpires talk about you know, the fingers stick together and things like that. When a guy is pitching – and and Rosin's out there. What what are the things that can happen with a guy, whether he has uh, an unauthorised substance on his hands or not? What are the things that happen when a guy goes through his routine on the mound? You were a pitcher. Your son was a pitcher as well. About what you need to do to make sure you got a, a proper yet legal grip on the baseball.
0: Well. <laughs> I, I'm going to be for Max in this case, okay, because there's so many elements that, that go into it. First of all, when you get the baseball, you know, how was it rubbed up? Was it rubbed up darker? Was it rubbed up lighter? What was the temperature of the room when it was rubbed up? What's the temperature uh, of the stadium that day? Is it humid? Is it cold? Is it hot? Is it rainy? Is it And all of those things truthfully can affect the baseball. Um, and, then, and then you get into what you're allowed to do with the rosin, uh, and everybody's just trying to get right to that line uh, to, to be legal. And, and I got to tell you, I mean, the hitters, they don't want it to be – they don't want non-sticky because l- look at the, the two weeks that they took the sticky away. Guys were getting drilled left and right, and that's not good for our game. When a player's getting hit and he breaks a, a hamate bone or a wrist or a thumb – Look at Altuve. You know, look what it's done for the Astros. You, you don't want that. The hitters don't want that. So the hitter was almost lean towards some of it being allowed so the sticky uh, can, can, can exist so they're not getting drilled. And, and that was a big problem when they completely took it away. Max knew where the line was of what he could do and what he couldn't do. And then when they addressed it and he went into the clubhouse, he washed his hands with alcohol with somebody watching him with a new glove, washed his hands with alcohol. Well, alcohol actually activates pine tar and it makes it stickier. And that's where it got into a, a big run in for him and and I don't and again, you just don't know what any one particular element combined with the, the way the ball, the complexion of the ball when you get it and the weather that day is going to, to find. But when the pitcher finds something that works and he knows it's legal and he thinks it legal, trust me. They're going to do whatever they can to try to keep those um, conditions as long as they can. Yeah,
1: it's a fascinating topic. Absolutely. Then the other thing I I need to ask you about, because you have such a great appreciation, as I do, and and a love for the history of the game, is uh, the announcement uh, by uh, the Oakland A's management that they have uh, uh, secured an area in Las Vegas and and uh, and are beginning their preliminary plans to eventually – have a ballpark built in Las Vegas, I know you love Las Vegas, but I also know you have an appreciation for the history of the game. How about your thoughts on this? You know, Oakland, uh, the A's have been there since 1968, so they've been there uh, 55 years. uh, And before that, it was 12 years in Kansas City, and then it was uh, over 60 years uh, going back to the late 1800s there in Philadelphia. What are your thoughts about this, about uh, how it just never really came to be about building, uh, it came uh, into existence about building a new ballpark in Oakland, and ultimately it's led to this step?
0: Yeah, Craig, it's been a long goodbye for a while. Um, I think it's unfortunate because personally, I love going into Oakland. And the fans are so passionate about that team, the true fans, which every team has about 12 to 15 every night fans, and their fans are unbelievable. And it's just the, the condition of the ballpark is just, and I was in there last year late, the condition of the ballpark has just gotten to a point of of, of non-functioning, and especially for visiting teams, Uh, to try to go in there and play. Uh, I do think it's exciting in the fact that, that, you know, the whole professional sports world, not just baseball, has now where Vegas was always kind of taboo because of the gambling. I think as a society and a sports industry, we've moved forward into understanding that Vegas is actually one of the more welcoming cities. Uh, They're going to be sold out every night. It's going to be incredible. It's going to be a tremendous home-field advantage, and and you better build – your team around a group of veterans that are going to go home and sleep at night, or it's going to be hard to win. Uh, But it's going to be great for the sport. I think it's going to be uh, an activator for more expansion, probably in the cities like Nashville. Uh, I, I truly think Austin would be an unbelievable major league city. I really do. But I think it's going to, it's going to create some new waves and new ideas as far as moving the game forward and, and getting into some cities that are, are that are as attractive as Las Vegas. But sad for the overall long-term history of the A's and what the Charlie O'Finley teams were in the 70s and the Bash Brother teams in the late 80s. Uh, but I think it's good for the progression of the sport and where it's moving, moving forward.
1: When you were working for the Marlins, and, and you were a big part of the, the building of that 2003 World Series championship team, when you were with the Marlins, and you correct me if I'm wrong, wasn't there a time, a time, Period and before it was announced that Marlins Park would be built and all that, where there was some serious consideration about moving the Marlins to, say, New Braunfels, like in between Austin and San Antonio, wasn't there some conversation about that?
0: Craig, I'll, as God is my witness, I'll tell you this story: in in we, the, the the trip that we fired Jeff Torborg on, in Houston in May of two thousand and three, that same trip I, I was with the club and and my boss Dan Jennings who. Is now with the Washington Nationals, and he's been on your show actually. Absolutely, and eventually, uh, eventually became the manager of the Marlins. We were at breakfast one morning in Houston. I said, "I said, DJ, I, I want to talk to Jeffrey about something." And he goes, "What?" And I said, "I want to talk to him about moving the team to San Antonio." And he's like, "What?" And I go, "DJ, it's perfect. It- it's 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 the time and the place." And so we went to the Cheesecake Factory at the Galleria, and, and our-, our club president. David Simpson was there, and, and Jeffrey Lurie, and DJ and myself, and I said, Mr. Lorie, I want to talk to you about something. And I laid out basically why uh, right there in the church clements near Rotama Park would be the perfect retractable roof stadium, HEB stadium, sorry for the free plug, uh- a retractable roof stadium, but that from my house and where you now live in that neighborhood to San Antonio was about an hour and 50 minutes. Mm-hmm and, and precedents had been set with three NBA teams. You, you could have three Major League Baseball teams, and I still today believe that it would be an unbelievable sight, especially now with the whole corridor being over 5 million people. I think it would be an incredible sight for Major League Baseball. And at that time, they did get on a plane when we played the Rangers and flew down and met with Nelson Wolf. And it was shortly after that that Miami stepped up and gave them the stadium in Miami. So that's the absolute truest story I could ever tell you about that situation.
1: I thought I remembered something about that. Uh, All right, before we go uh, here, uh, first of all, somebody said, I'm a Cubs fan. Can Gino give me any hope at all about the Cubs?
0: Oh, now, you know I'm a Cubs fan too. I know. I know you are. Oh, I love my Cubbies, and I'm excited about what they're doing. Uh, Chris Young, a Georgetown resident uh, who actually – uh, pitch for us in Miami is the bullpen coach for the Cubs. I talk to him every day, and I am super excited about where this team is, mostly because of the additions about of guys like Eric Hosmer, who's come in and just been the glue of that club, and Cody Bellinger and the extension of Ian Happ, where you know there's no more hangover as to whether he's going to be there or not. The addition of Dansby Swanson. This is a unit. This is not going to be about – who the most talented team these this is like the Giants in 2010 12 and 14 where you look on the field the Cardinals where you look on the field and it's not the most talented team but they play so well together and as it heats up in Chicago and and I know Haas better than anybody he's going to he may be the comeback player of the year this year because he's going to be driven for that fan base there is no place in the world like Wrigley Field and he's going to be driven for that fan base he's the absolute leader of that team and and trust me when I tell you I'm on Chris Young every day about that bullpen producing so <laughs> uh they've got a really nice thing going right now and they believe that they can stay in this thing but how they play against the Brewers is going to be everything
1: uh somebody asked about the Braves hey the Braves are the Braves are 14 and 5 Bryce Elder going to pitch against the Astros tonight Gino
0: yeah Bryce what a what a competitor I actually uh did a story with Bob Ballou on on. Uh, one of the TV stations there when he was coming out of the draft in 2020 and just a true competitor like most University of Texas pitchers when they get into pro ball. uh, You know, I've seen Holby Billner pitch this week. Uh, I've seen, um, oh man, the kid, uh, another kid from UT pitch this week and, and they're just competitors when they get on the mound, they're just competitors. And Bryce Elder certainly fits in that mold and the Braves, they're the Braves. They're they're going to be really good and talented, and they'll be there in October.
1: No doubt about that. And then finally said, "Hey, the Rangers are going to win it all anyway. So why are we even talk about anybody? Do you have to be impressed by what's going on in Arlington right now?
0: Well, I can tell you this: You know, Chris Young was on our 2015 team, and there was never a more fierce competitor than Chris Young. And the thing that he has done is he has raised the expectation level there. He has set the tone. And then when you've got a guy like Bruce Bochy managing you every night, and with that rotation that they have, they're going to be very, very tough. They had lost, like, 19 of the last 24 road games in Houston, and they went in and they played really extremely well against Houston, and that's uh, kind of the indicator of things are turning in the right direction. And Houston had to do the same thing, you know, back in 15 and 16. They had to show the Rangers that they weren't going to sit around and take it anymore, and so that's what they're doing right now with Houston. Uh, John Curtis was the other kid from Texas that yep. I saw pitch last week, and so. But no, they got a really super talented team. They got a really really good minor league system up high, so they're going to be. Uh, they're going to be in this thing the whole way. It's going to be fun to watch.
1: Yeah, I saw John Curtis uh, pitch. You mentioned Hobie Milner. Uh, you know, there's there's, uh, there's there's several of those Longhorns still floating around out there and still doing their thing. All right, uh, Gene Watson is system general manager of Kansas City Royals. Always great uh, MLB intel that we get from Gino every week, and uh, we ran out of time to do. But but next week we will uh, we will also regenerate. Uh, the uh, weird minor league team names and ballparks and, and get your because you've been just about to all of them, if not all of them. So I'm, I'm going to get your thoughts on that again next week. Hey, uh, stay safe in Seattle, okay? I mean, if you take a stroll down a Pike Place Market, make, somebody, make sure somebody doesn't hit you in the face with a big fish or something. I'll do it, Craig. Thanks so much. Appreciate you. Thank you, Gino. All right. That's Gene Watson, uh, assistant GM of the Kansas City Royals. When we come back, we'll have our Longhorn Notebook when we continue to light the tower on the horn, 1049-1019, AM 1260, live, local, and digital on the horn app and at hornfm.com.
0: Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help.
1: This is life to Tower on the Horn. Glad to have you with us this morning. Thanks again to Gene Watson, Assistant General Manager of Kansas City Royals, joining us here on the program. Longhorn baseball tonight at seven o'clock on the Horn, six forty-four five airtime as Texas takes on the Oklahoma Sooners. Speaking of which, it's time for our Longhorn Notebook. Longhorn, no. Uh, uh, first of all, before we even get to the baseball, uh, a couple of other things uh, to let you know because there's all kinds of stuff going on as there invariably is. Uh, you know, the, the, all signs trending toward Max Amos winding up as a uh, Texas Longhorn, the Oral Roberts, a young man in the transfer portal. Things are looking good. Nothing official yet, uh, but uh, the basketball. Uh, Staff and everything feels good about their opportunity there. Softball, 7th-ranked Texas softball in action this afternoon, 4.30, 4.15 airtime on 105.3 the bat, as Texas will take on Oklahoma State, game one of that weekend series. Tonight, uh, it is, oh, and one other thing going on tomorrow, two-time defending national champion, number one rowing team in the nation, number one Texas rowing, going east, to square off with a pair of top four opponents playing, going up against rowing against third-ranked Yale and number four Princeton on Lake Carnegie. Oh, they'll go to Lake Carnegie and Princeton to take on Yale and Princeton, mind you. Hopefully, I'll be a buffo showing for longhorn rowing. Anyway, uh, there this weekend there. So uh, certainly wish um, Dave O'Neill's team all the best on that. All right, now to baseball, uh, Texas. In uh, taking on uh, Oklahoma, uh, it was it was funny to see yesterday the media availability uh, Porter Brown of course transferred him from TCU, so Porter asked was asked how much do you know really about the Texas OU rivalry and this Red River showdown a Red River rivalry as some uh, call it so he was asked that that question how much do you know about this.
0: The only thing I know about the rivalry is that it's called the Red River, right? Red River rivalry, and uh, we have OU sucks in our chant. Uh, other than that, I just want to win, and we uh, we want to win the Big 12 as a unit and as a team. So, like rivalry or not, like we're just gonna go up there, and play good baseball this weekend, and, and win this series.
1: Now. Uh... <laughs> David Pierce will tell you a little further in that. He sees some things uh, from Oklahoma that some folks might not see. Otherwise, when they look at a team, that's 19-19 and and in the last place in the Big 12 Conference. Just
2: going through the process of the protocol for his surgery and where he is, and then... The first thing that sticks out to me is their free pass to strikeouts from their offensive side is a part of their game. Uh, so they're very good at getting deep in counts, and that also plays into their running game. So we have to attack them and force them to force them to contact and make them earn their way to first base. Um, secondly, potentially they start two left-handed pitchers, Friday and Sunday, and we've got to make adjustments of how we approach those guys or you'll look up in the seventh inning and realize that you haven't scored because you're not hitting – the right way against that type of guy. That's one thing I noticed last night. Our team did a really good job of.
1: Yeah, and then the one other thing is uh, Tanner Witt. Everybody's asked about Tanner Witt's progress. Well, there's been progress this week as he continues to get closer and closer, closer than you might think, to return to the mound.
2: Just going through the process of the protocol for his surgery and where he is, and then the day after recovery. How is he recovering? Yesterday is the first time that he threw, sat down, and went back out. Uh, So we're we're treating it very delicately for Tanner, but also for us. And we also feel like the only way he's going to help us early on is to start, um, just because of his prep time, needing to know uh, exactly when he's going to pitch, and allowing him the amount of time to get ready and so that could be a little bit tough on the actual starter of the day and so we're going to have to work through that but we look at the big picture and the big picture he can help us and he can also uh, it's what he wants to do he wants to pitch for his team i think there are certain guys that couldn't do it in a team aspect in other words he's such a good teammate that every guy on this team is pulling for him to get out there for us and for him. And so he's done all the right things to be there for them. And so they've been tremendous for him.
1: Yeah, and the possibility exists that he could be on the mound in maybe a 30 pit situation next weekend in Fort Worth in the series against TCU. We'll be back to wrap up today's edition of Light the Tower on the Horn. Okay, done here. I'll leave you with this. Thanks for all of those of you Brought in the fractured lyrics. He said, what are the lyrics for the Manfred Mann song that nobody gets right? It's actually a Bruce Springsteen song, Blinded by the Light. The words are revved up like a deuce, like a deuce coupe. Not douche? No, that's what everybody thinks, but that's not it. Uh, somebody said, adding R's to words in East Texas. Thing Captain K-Man says, the Daft Punk song, Get Lucky at the end, I always here. we're not all Mexican instead of we're up all night to get. Okay. <laughs> Okay. Uh, that that would be, somebody else thought it was, give me the beach, boys, and free my soul.
0: <laughs>
1: okay. Uh, thank you to everybody. We'll visit with you Monday. Stay tuned. Chan's here up next, and we'll visit with you next time I Light the Tower.